Welcome to machine learning. Well, I was able to revisit um, Alchemy SQL and um, and uh, I'm gonna need to retake that full course. I started it and uh, looks like it's gonna have some of the things that I want it want to be able to do like for example um, once you connect cr create your engine and um, then you can create a connection front to that engine and then uh, the connection can do an execute and then you pass in your query um, and it returns back a record set and then in your data frame, uh, your pandas data frame, you can, uh, you can pass in an RS fetch all. But it doesn't bring in uh, the, t the column names correctly. It get, just puts them as an ordinal number. And then you can set <coughs> the columns equal to uh, RS keys. And that now you have your data frame loaded from your uh, your SQL statement, and uh, and now you can work in data frames. You can do your plotting. You can do your uh, machine learning and uh, everything that we're we're familiar with. And you know that go that's from uh, deep learning, reinforcement learning. All your classifiers, and uh, and uh, you can do your regressions, your trend lines, parabolic curve fitting. All that uh, is now available against those data frames, and so it's uh, universal. And uh, I found the actually importing data, the the course on that really useful because uh, one of the things that he said uh, uh, was that uh, that HDF5 hierarchical data is becoming the new uh, new standard and uh, what that has is uh, you you get the you open the file up and then you go through each one of the keys at the high level it'll show you then your high level keys and uh, then when you want to get um, the columns back then you would you would use the metadata and get the keys on the metadata metadata is in a key value pair so you have a key and then the value can be a string a float a list a, a list and uh, that will then allow you to access uh, your data in terms of a hierarchy and I think the reason why H HDF is becoming the standard is because of the non-structured database that there's a lot of NoSQL data in JSON form that is now 
becoming popular and so um, there needs to be an easy way to read that data and uh, looks like HDF5 is that, that way. The other thing that uh, they taught is how to import a SAS file and that's the statistical files and uh, I was able to find a, a GitHub file on um, that uh, has the Chicago crime rates. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And uh, I was able to load that SAS file into a data frame. And, and that was pretty straightforward. There was no metadata. It was a lot like a CSV. And it import, imported in real easy. You can also do uh, read CSV. And you can specify your index column specify uh, which columns that you want to use and, the, and then it'll bring in a CSV file and you can also um, use the NumPy if you were going to uh, just bring in an array if you so for example if you had a text file you could read it again from a, uh, just a text file in using the NumPy library the read CSV is really a nice step forward because you know once you get your data into a familiar format like a CSV, uh, it could be tab delimited. It could be uh, you could be uh, comma delimited, and uh, you you can specify if it has to skip the uh, header rows and also to use. If you had uh, different column names, you could use you could uh, rename the column names, and that would be in the read CSV. Now, if you were just using the NumPy and you were, let's say, just bringing in arrays of numbers, um, then you could specify the range that you wanted to bring in in terms of which columns and how many rows that you wanted to read, and then uh, you could skip the header. And you could either uh, use an index or you could ignore the index. So those are some pretty powerful features that you can have when you're bringing in data with uh, NumPy. And um, you, could, you could do the same thing with probably the data frame. Uh, and then in the data frame, you could assign your array using the dot values property on the data frame. But uh, there might be some uh, cases where it just makes more sense to go directly to an array using the NumPy. And the NumPy looks like it brings back a list of tuples. To me, it looks like a tuple uh, because it's got a bracket and then a paren and then your uh, set of data and then a closed paren and a comma and then the next one. So to me, it looks like it's a set of tuples and you can iterate over those tuples um, by doing a dot items, and then you get your key and value pairs, and uh, and then you can get the specific values on those all those values by <clears throat> uh, just like you would in a dictionary, uh, and that's pretty much uh, what they covered in importing data
I was starting to look at that crime data and thinking about, you know, the areas where you have domestic crimes. And the data that I was looking at, it had an IUCR, the Illinois Uniform Crime uh, Code. I think it was what it stood for. And, uh, and it was a, a four-character four code, and it classifies the type of crime that occurred. And, it, and it's it really connected not necessarily to a conviction of a crime, but it was um, a, it, it, whether or not the crime led to an arrest or not arrest was really what they were looking at, not whether the individual was convicted of the crime um, and sentenced if it had a penalty of, of uh, a prison time. And uh, uh, so it's looking at those codes and, and uh, doing some counts and then building some histograms. And it was, um, it was interesting because there wasn't one particular crime code that was standing out. And um, I didn't uh, do a, you know, a lot of analysis on it, but I you know, just threw a, get together a little bit of a... Of a Histogram to just kind of look at uh, what uh, what uh, might be uh, important in the data, and then uh, I didn't get to see whether or not there was a lot of crimes that were related to domestic, but it did have it did have latitude and latitude and longitude coordinates, and so now. Um, I was faced with the problem how do I identify certain areas like say like you will have a, it, it had the wards and so it was broke down into into a location with the latitude longitude and it had a ward number and it, I think it had a district number um, but then I was thinking well uh, what I need is to get a geo position for a boundary so like say if I wanted uh, the city of Boise I would need to uh, find a box of latitude longitude coordinates four coordinates and then use that um, with the shapely library and the geo um, library and then basically using that box determine which latitude and longitude in the data frame are bounded by it, and that would be my result set of crimes in that that region. And then that would give me uh, a picture of what uh, kind of crimes are occurring, like within a certain distance of my residence, and uh, the type of crimes that are occurring. So, one of the ideas that, that uh, would be I think valuable is to have some sort of website that the state provides that you can put in your location and it could give you the statistics on crime in your area and that way you'd know whether or not you're living in a high crime area um, if there's uh, abductions and 
kidnappings, uh, violent and violent crimes, and uh, that would give you a sense of, of the degree of safety in the area you reside. And I know that uh, I've had some in-laws that they lived in a pretty nice home and it seemed like a really nice area and we liked the, we, we'd raised our family and roughly within 10 miles of where they were living and, and we liked uh, the environment um, that we raised our kids in. But they had got some information and they decided that they were going to move because they felt like that uh, crime was increasing and it was spreading up into uh, the area that they, they lived in and they didn't want to expose their kids to those kind of risks. And so they, they moved to a, uh, a new neighborhood which they felt was safer and uh, uh, build a new home there. And so that was uh, an interesting response when I found out uh, that they had moved. It was based on their perception of crime in their area. <clears throat> so, and I've talked in the past about real estate and some of the popular trends in real estate. And um, that... Uh, it felt it seemed like that the people who are living where there were really expensive homes had higher incomes and with the higher incomes um, it's assumed that they would have lower crime that the crime rates in that area would be lower however without studying the data I don't think you could draw that conclusion and uh, so it would be interesting to find out which wealthy neighborhoods with homes of they say like 600,000 or more per home had the high crime areas and then you would, could identify those areas as potential areas probably to avoid. Um, because when you're looking at a home, you ask, often ask the realtor, you know, what's the crime rate in this area? There's, there's um, there's websites you can go to that you can put in your address that will show you if there's uh, uh, sexual predators in that area or people that have uh, been convicted of uh, crimes related to children. And that would uh, give you an idea when you're raising your family if, if those are safe areas. And um, so when we moved into our home, uh, when we first moved to the Boise region, that's one of the first things that my wife and I did is we searched uh, the, the state um, database uh, they had and where we put in our address and see what kind of neighbors that we had uh, in a trailer park that we were concerned about. And we did find that there were uh, a few individuals with criminal records there. So we, were, we, we had to weigh that out and determine whether or not there was a risk. And it was interesting because over the years we had one daughter who had a friend that lived in the trailer court. And only one time did she ever visit our home. And her 
grandmother was really nervous about her coming to our home, so um, that didn't happen frequently. And I'm, like I said, I, I can only remember one time that she actually came to our home. And it was just short, short uh, a visit, and then she had to leave. So safety is important, and uh, you see some communities where they will put up uh, a gated community, so only individuals that uh, have access to that community can enter, and uh, they have to enter by a code or a, a frequency that allow them to get in. And uh, there's others that, um, their safety is uh, sponsored by the neighborhood watch. So you have community members that are looking out for the safety of the children. And um, <clears throat> I think in the future you'll have some sort of HOA surveillance system. It seems like that so that if, uh, if people are stealing things from your home, like <clears throat> uh, taking packages, while you're gone or there's uh, any suspicious activity that maybe there will be a, a neighborhood surveillance system that you can uh, review footage on and then submit that to the police if there was some, some crime that occurred. So there, there's a, with technology there's a lot of innovation um, that becomes possible and the behavior of the system changes over time because the increased capability exists. And so for that reason, uh, there's a lot of uh, potential here for better, better security. And one, one thing that I've been thinking about with talking about better security is uh, building uh, doors that recognize who you are and what but don't cost thousands of dollars for expensive surveillance systems but can operate on very low cost facial recognition and voice recognition to open your door and uh, that would have uh, would keep a track of the record of times when individuals that they identify or not identify enter into the home and uh, there's a a record of that and so every entry point could have these low-cost solar-powered AI chips that are connected to video.